Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. Remember, Island Conversations is on KWXX and on B93B97 every Sunday and rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. And now Island Conversations is brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916 and a big mahalo to KTA Superstores. Our guest today is Hawaii County Police Chief Paul Ferreira. We were recorded the interview in Chief Ferreira's office in Hilo on Wednesday, April 3rd. We join in as I'm introducing Chief Ferreira. Chief Ferreira joined the Hawaii Police Department in 1982, 37 years ago, and has held numerous positions. He was named chief at the end of 2016. Two years plus in the job. Good morning. Aloha, Chief Ferreira. Good morning, Sherry. How are you doing? I am great, and thank you so much for taking time to sit down and talk with us today. And I'd like to start with having you just remind us of the details of Hawaii County Police Department. How many people you have, sworn personnel, civilians, just sort of the lay of the land of Hawaii County Police. Okay, the Hawaii Police Department is comprised of eight districts. We don't follow the council district seats. We have four districts on the east side and four districts on the west side. So we divide the island in half. Area one would be East Hawaii, consisting of Puna, South Hilo, North Hilo, and Hamakua. And area two would be West Hawaii, which consists of North Kohala, South Kohala, Kona, and Kau. Right now I have 450 authorized sworn positions, which is police officer positions. And we have 144 full-time civilian positions. These do not include the school crossing guards that are part-time. Right now on our sworn positions, we currently have 17 vacant positions. In our civilian staff, we have 13 vacancies. Hawaii County Mayor Kim has included, I believe, 42 additional police positions for the upcoming budget. How will you use those positions? Those positions that were put in as a supplemental request from the police department to the mayor's office, they include 31 sworn positions and 11 civilian positions. Included in the civilian positions, we're looking at two evidence technicians, which is similar to the NCIS shows you see the evidence techs going on in the field for the west side of the island. They will work directly under the detectives. We have two positions in Hilo right now that cover the entire island, but you can understand the travel, so we'd like to have them in Kona as well. We're asking for two IT specialists, and that is part of our body-worn camera project that we want to get going as well for the next fiscal year. We're asking for more police radio dispatcher positions and a supervisor. Hopefully, with the capital improvement projects going forward, we will be getting a new dispatch center, which has been needed for several years. Those are the civilian positions that we're getting. The rest are sworn positions, police officer positions in Puna and in Kau. We asked for 10 patrol officer positions in Puna and 10 in Kau. Kau, if you look at the size of Kau and the growing numbers in the Hawaiian Ocean View Estates area, the calls for service are increasing and we only have two to three officers to cover that entire district. 
Now, everyone knows Pune is a hot spot. The calls for service out there is increasing. So that's why we're asking for 10 additional positions out there. The rest of the positions are supervisory positions, sergeants and lieutenants, because when we first went for accreditation some years ago, it was recognized that we have patrol officers working out there with no direct supervision. In other words, no sergeants or lieutenants overseeing them. That is, in Kalea's eyes, a deficit for us. It puts us in a bad position. So one of my priorities has been that we need to get those supervisory positions out there. And that's what hopefully these additional supervisory sergeants and lieutenants will do. They, they will increase our supervisory staff. You mentioned Kalea. Kalea is the accrediting organization? Yes, it stands for the Commission on Accreditation of Law Enforcement Agencies. We were first accredited in November of 2012. It was a two-year process to get there. And then we were re-accredited in 2015. We're coming up for a second re-accreditation this year in November. What changed is in 2016, Kalia changed their accreditation from three years to four years. Right now, we're going through what is known as a mock assessment. April 1st, not April Fool's Day, but April 1st, we had an off-site remote review of all our policies and procedures and our proofs that we are complying with those procedures. Come April 15th to the 19th, we'll be going through what is a mock exercise. This is where we'll have Kalia assessors coming down here, interviewing our people, looking at what we have in place, and making sure we're meeting the standards. This is preparing us for the actual assessment that will be done in August. Right now, also in line with this, April 1st, if you went to our website, we started our new community satisfaction survey. That is also part of the accreditation process that we do it every three years. So our next reaccreditation in November, and hopefully we've come through it with flying colors. Well, you mentioned the community satisfaction survey. How important is that to the assessment process, and how should the citizens of Hawaii County participate? It's an online survey. It's anonymous. Your IP address, nothing is captured. There's a bank of questions that is asked. Have you met with an officer? Have you reported a crime? All your interactions with the department. We want to hear the bad as well as the good. We want to know where we're good at. We want to know where we're failing at. And we want to know what can we improve on. In previous surveys that was done, then Chief Kubajiri would look at it, or Chief Mahuna prior to him. They would look at the surveys. They would identify what are the weaknesses, what are the strengths, and address it in our website responding to questions or polls, how improvements were made or what changes were made. I'm looking at doing the same thing, identifying our strengths, identifying our weaknesses capitalize on the strengths that we do have and hopefully overcome the weaknesses. Chief Ferreira, the state legislature a couple of years ago decided that they should somehow set standards for the police departments within our state. But Hawaii County Police has gone through this extensive accreditation process, and I have talked with folks at Kalea, and I've interviewed the folks within the administration who have been working on Kalea. I interviewed Chief Kubo Jiri about it, and I've talked with you about it several times. What is the state looking to gain that is not already achieved by the fact that you are one of the, I would have to say, few departments in the whole country that has gone through this rigorous accreditation process. Give us your thoughts. I really don't know what the mindset was as far as what the legislators were looking at. They're trying to lump law enforcement all into one group. Well, you have various law enforcement agencies across the state. You have the county police departments, you have the state sheriff's office, you have investigators with the taxation office, you have investigators with um, commerce department categorized as law enforcement officers. Now, they all fall under this group 
The legislature passed an uh, act last year that requires the state to identify law enforcement standards board per se that will set standards for all the law enforcement entities across the state. And we have had one meeting, the chiefs of each island sits on this board. You had an agency there that has two investigators. Now that agency has nothing to do with domestic violence, citations, court appearances. They're a regulatory agency, but their investigators are identified as law enforcement. And they would have to follow the same standards that we do. It makes no sense. So that's why we tried to submit an amendment to the legislation this year. I believe it's died. So we're going to have to figure this out as we go along. All of the county police departments are accredited through the Commission on Accreditation of Law Enforcement Agencies. We all meet those standards. There's 400 plus standards that we have to abide by. We all meet those standards, similar to what is followed in other states. Chief Ferreira, our Hawaii County Police Department and the county suffered a horrible loss last July when Officer Bronson Kaliloa was murdered. Terrible situation. It was the first officer, to my knowledge, that we lost who was murdered in the line of duty, shot by a suspect. Clearly, that had a huge emotional effect on the officers. How has the department recovered? How is the department recovering? I don't imagine you have or ever really will recover from such a horrible, horrible event. You know, that's a very difficult question to answer, Sherry. I believe I speak for the majority of the department. There's not a day that goes by that the officers don't remember or think about Bronson Law, what he did or how he interacted with everyone. Recently, the officers in the Pune district have erected a memorial to Officer Law within the station. The portrait that was displayed at his memorial services when he died is right now sitting in every police station across the island and we have eight district stations. That's how much he's remembered. The officers in the Puna district have been feeling it the most. And here shortly, it's gonna to come to light again. I'm sure you're aware that you've been to our ceremonies that the week of May 15th is a National Police Memorial Week. Every year in Washington, D.C., at the National Memorial for Police Officers, Law Enforcement Memorial, the officers that died in the year previous will be honored with their name being engraved on the wall. We are sending a delegation of five officers and a chaplain to this event this year. We have a police week ceremony that we'll be doing here on the island. So in honoring them at our station and honoring our officers here, I'm remaining on island. So again, here shortly, it'll all come back. We normally do one on Monday, the first day here in Hilo, and the very following day, we'll do one in Kona. So Chief Ferreira, did Hawaii County Police Department change any procedures as a result of what happened to Officer Kaliloa? No, actually there was no procedures or policy changes. But I think what did happen, an offshoot, is that officers, the family, the community all realize how dangerous police work really is. You know, we haven't experienced that kind of a loss for years. Shigechi Chaku was the last one that got killed. After him was Kenny Kilipio. And those, one, Kilipio was as a result of an accident. Shigechi Chaku was a result of an assault. This was the first one where it was an outright murder where a firearm was used, an officer was killed. So we have never experienced or gone through anything like that. So I think it affected the entire communities. There wasn't necessarily need to change any policies or procedures, but it was a wake-up call for all of us. And it was a wake-up call for the officers as well, that police work is inherently dangerous. And there are risks out there that you're taking whenever anything happens. There's been talk about the Pune district being the hot spot of the island. 
Well, if you look in recent weeks, it's changed. So it can happen anywhere on the island. It's not necessarily just restricted to one place. Your officers work really hard, and some said that when Officer Kaliloa was shot, one of the issues was that many officers had been working double shifts back to back. And I know you're getting or you're seeking more police officers, but is that a factor? Is there more of an attempt to not have officers do double shifts? I think there was a little bit of misperception. They weren't doing a double shift where they were working um, two shifts together. What they were working in the Puna District were 12-hour shifts because of the lava flow and eruption going on. We're looking at changing our work schedule. The way our schedule works right now is we rotate shifts every month. So an officer working the day shift, which is 6.45 to 3.30, at the end of the month switches to a graveyard shift, which is 10.45 to 7.30 in the morning. Next month, they'll go from a 2.45 shift to 11.30 shift at night. It's taxing on the bodies, you know, that switch every month. So we're looking at extending that out maybe to three months. You know, you talked about the fact that you're going to get more or you're seeking more officers, but you already have 17 vacancies. How are you going to find good officers? Well, we're aggressively attacking the recruitment. We're going out there, we're going to the job fairs, we're going to the different high schools, we go to the colleges, trying to get the recruits that we can. Every class, we look at losing 10 to 15 percent of the numbers that we do hire. That is, across the state, even across the nation, you're not, you're not going to retain everyone you hire. What we did do recently, last year, over the last recruitment, prior to this year, you had to be 21 at the time you applied for the position. And the reason for that is to carry a handgun in the state of Hawaii, you have to be 21. What we did was change that and follow suit with what the rest of the departments were, and we were behind the eight ball without realizing it, is that we'll hire you prior to 21 if you're going to be 21 by the time you graduate the recruit class. Because if you look at the way our recruitment process works, it takes us almost six to nine months from the day the individual takes an exam to the day they're actually hired because of the background process. We have seven months of recruit academics, and then you have another four months of OJT or field training officer program. So it's a long stretch before the officer actually hits the road. So we tried to capture someone a little bit earlier. So basically you're looking for any willing people, male, female, from anywhere on the island. Can folks from off-island apply? Yes, I mean, we have had applicants from off-island, but we've also had officers from off-island come to Hawaii Island. And part of the reason is because of the affordable land here and the way the island is. We've had officers that relocated from the Honolulu Police Department because I'm sure you can imagine the cost of living in Honolulu, you know, and even on Kauai, the land prices. You can come here with a family and you can raise a family in a pretty good size acreage, probably with half the price of what you're going to pay in Honolulu. And just a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations and I'm Sherry Bracken. Island Conversations is not only on the radio, but you may listen anytime online at kwxx.com or download or subscribe to the podcast. Today we're talking with Hawaii County Police Chief Paul Ferreira. Next week, our guest is scheduled to be Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. We are now sponsored by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day. And now, a word from our sponsor. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. 
And now back to Hawaii County Police Chief Paul Ferreira. Chief Ferreira, you mentioned that the Puna District has sort of been known as the hotbed of crime and shootings and stuff, but that seems to have changed. Just within the last few weeks, we had Walter Gomes allegedly shoot a woman in the face and get shot at by officers near Costco and then go up to Kohala. At the same time, there was another shooting in Kohala the very next day. Next day, there was a shooting of a woman by, I believe, her husband or live-in boyfriend in Hilo, another shooting in Puna. It feels like there's a lot of shootings going on, a lot more violence than we're used to on this island. And I'm just curious about your assessment. What's going on? It's difficult to put a finger on it and say it's one thing causing it. There's a myriad of factors that are involved. One nexus that we do see a lot whenever we have violent crimes is a drug nexus. There is a drug abuse nexus. The other one is domestic violence. And this is a trend that is not only with Hawaii Island or the state of Hawaii. It's a trend that's across the nation. And you'll see spikes in violent crimes. If you look back when, unfortunately, the shooting with Officer Kalilua, pretty much everything settled down for a little while after that happened. And again, now we're getting a spike again, what's going on. And it's not inherent to just one area of the island. Like you just said, North Kohala, Hilo, back to Kona, back to Puna. So it's happening across the island. There's no only one key factor that's out there. If we do get a report of things of this nature, we'll put whatever resources necessary to apprehend the individuals that are responsible and take whatever action is necessary. With domestic violence, it's education, a lot of it. With the prosecutor's office going out, educating the victims, getting the victims aware there is resources out there to help them. Well, I'll actually be recording an interview with the two vice lieutenants for the island within a couple of weeks, and it'll be interesting to talk with them because in the past, that's sort of been the answer as to why violence increases, that drugs typically tend to be a factor. So I'll get their take on it as well. You know, in the case of Walter Gomes, several people asked me to ask about that particular case. He was the young man who allegedly shot a woman in the face. He was at Costco. Officers could not catch him. He went up to Kohala. Ditto. And the question is, eight officers ended up on administrative leave because they had fired their weapons. If you can share, and it may be too soon, why did it take so long? Why were the officers unable to catch him when it seemed like he was within their grasp, that they were able to shoot at him but not stop him? you got to remember, he was in a vehicle. He was in a moving vehicle. He wasn't standing on the side of the road that he could be tackled or anything like that. So when you're dealing with a moving vehicle, you have to be cognizant of you know where he's going. He's driving towards the officers. They have to get out of the way. And unfortunately, they did discharge their firearms. He wasn't struck. His vehicle was. And eventually, his vehicle was stopped when he collided into a police car up in North Kohala. And he pretty much totaled the forerunner that the captain of the district was driving. And fortunately, the captain was not in the vehicle at the time. If he was, he would have been seriously injured if you look at that vehicle. Now, you say how he can elude police. It's not hard to elude someone if you're running around in a vehicle as long as you can make your getaway. We're not going to block you in with a car. And once he went on foot and into the bushes in Kohala, we had the dog out there. We had the helicopter out there. We had people searching the bush. But also, they had to be very, very cognizant that he had a firearm or he had reportedly had a firearm. So you don't just go pounding the bushes. You have to be really careful what you're looking, where you're looking, how you're looking. It's like with the shooting in Officer Kaliloa. The suspect individual was able to elude police for a while as well because he had friends out there that would harbor him. He had places he could hide. Same thing in this case. Good to hear about Mr. Gomes. We are very happy you caught him because 
You're right. It just it seemed like there was a sudden spike in violence, and that puts people on edge. That's not the island we all want to live on. A completely separate issue is homelessness. And as you know, Hawaii County Mayor Harry Kim has stated that he's not putting any money in the budget to address homelessness and feels that the state will provide. Homelessness is not a crime. So what's your sense as to what the police involvement might be in addressing the homeless situation? As far as what you just said, that's a misperception out there that homelessness is a crime that someone's sitting on the sidewalk because they're homeless, because they're vagrant, that law enforcement needs to get them out of there. They need to escort them out of there. Well, there are no laws in Hawaii County that prevent someone from loitering on a sidewalk. There isn't even any laws that prevent someone from panhandling in certain areas. Um, I don't know if you recall, several years ago, we arrested and cited an individual in the corner area that was soliciting money on a medium strip, I believe. The county of Hawaii was actually sued because the law did not allow for it. And so we ended up having to go ahead and uh, I believe they settled that suit somehow. So there is no laws out there that prevent someone from sitting on the sidewalk or being on the sidewalks. We do enforce whatever we can, the camping laws. If there's any laws being broken like drugs being used or violence being seen, we will take whatever necessary action. One of the problems is we'll get a call saying that, oh, this individual is sitting on the sidewalk, he's smoking marijuana, he's smoking, you know, he's smoking drugs. And officers go down there only to find out that this individual is wrapping tobacco. Now, we do have a homeless population that talks to themselves, so walks down the street, you know, yelling and screaming. Are they committing a crime? No. You know, they have a mental health issue. So when officers get there, the most we can do is tell them, you need to settle down or you need to leave or you need to move on. But the perception by the public is that the officers are not doing their job because they're not arresting and dragging this person off to somewhere. There is a lack of services on Hawaii Island, and that is not a secret. It's well known that there is a lack of mental health services. We have programs that are being promised by the state that it will be coming in. They are promising more mental health facilities and more mental health services, but that is yet to be seen. We need to wait. What the mayor may be talking about as far as law enforcement getting more involved is the Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Project that is going on. It's a pilot project that is going to go on Kailua Kona, where we're partnering with other agencies, social service agencies, mental health agencies, to take some of these people that are committing minor criminal violations, taking them off the street, and instead of putting them into the courts or putting them through the jail system, diverting them into mental health services or community outreach services in lieu of going into court. And that is the, I guess, the carrot that they're going to be looking at, that you know, if I do this program, if I stay out of trouble, I get to stay out of jail. That is what the mayor may be referring to as far as law enforcement's more involvement. But again, homelessness is not a crime, and there's only so much that the law enforcement can do. And I just want to mention that on Wednesday, April 10th, I'll be moderating a forum at West Hawaii Civic Center that will include Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, and we will definitely be asking him about the state's plans to address homelessness. That interview will also air at westhawaiiforum.org and be shown on Naleo TV a bit later. And I will also be actually interviewing Lieutenant Governor Green for next week's program so we can hear it directly from him. Okay, Chief Ferreira, another completely separate issue, civil asset forfeiture. 
In February 2019, the Supreme Court had a unanimous ruling about civil asset forfeiture, limiting the state's ability to use civil forfeiture while not prohibiting it. Civil asset forfeiture, as I understand it, allows law enforcement to seize cash and property believed to be connected to criminal activity. And as we record this interview on Wednesday, April 3rd, the state legislature today is having a hearing about civil asset forfeiture that would require that the crime be a felony and that the property be returned if there is no criminal conviction. There was a state audit, and in the state audit, looking at the whole state, not Hawaii County, in 26% of asset forfeiture cases during the 2015 fiscal year, law enforcement had not filed related criminal charges, but they had still taken the property. So, Chief Ferreira, did I accurately describe civil asset forfeiture? And then tell us, how does your department handle civil asset forfeiture, and is your handling of it changing in any way? Okay, as far as the Supreme Court ruling that I read and that you're referring to, I believe one of the issues there was the individual was caught trying to sell $200 or plus of heroin, and he was in a vehicle uh, that is worth $42,000 or someone in that area. And the way the forfeiture laws work is that we need to show that there's a nexus between the property that we're seizing and the crime that is being committed. So in a drug-related crime, you would need to show that the property is ill-gotten gains of the drug distribution or burglary or theft or something of that nature. Well, in that case, the individual could clearly show that the vehicle was obtained through an inheritance from the death of a family member. So that's what the Supreme Court looked at and said, there's no nexus between the two. Now, had they shown that the vehicle was obtained through ill-gotten gains of drug sales, I don't believe the Supreme Court would have come back with that ruling. We here in Hawaii, and even in the state I can speak for, there is an appeal process whenever we take property into, into custody as part of a forfeiture. And normally all of the forfeitures are associated primarily with drug transactions. We go into a home as part of a search warrant, we recover drugs, there's money with the drugs, the individuals in the home have no means of financial gain other than their drug sales, and yet they're sitting on 60 plus thousand dollars in their room, and it's okay, it doesn't take rocket science to figure it out where it came from. So as far as things changing, I understand that the state law, what they're doing, that it's gonna be based on conviction, there's a lot of questions that come out of what's going to be done with the property, who's going to hold the property, where is it going to go in. And then the proposal that's going forward, if I read it right, the monies will not go back to law enforcement. It will go back to the state general fund to be done with as they please. Right now, all of the forfeitures, there's very strict guidelines as to what the money can be spent on. It has to have some kind of nexus to drug enforcement or education or training. So a majority of the funds that we have acquired through asset forfeiture has been used for training. We've used it for equipment, for the whole department. So if you came into my house and arrested me for drugs and you took my car, but then I was acquitted, would you get my car back? It depends, it's a civil process. What would happen if you would get the car back? And I would have to apply for it. You wouldn't automatically return it. No, it's two totally separate cases that are made. One is a civil case, the forfeiture side, and one is a criminal case. Has the prosecutor's office indicated that they plan to change the rules at all? 
I haven't heard of anything that's coming down from the prosecutor's office. Chief Ferreira, last year and then this year, you went to a convention in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> I call it a convention. It's a conference of police chiefs. And I know that last year you told me you talked about drug issues and other things. Is there anything you'd like to share from this year's meeting, which was, I believe, in February? Yes, it's an annual conference supported through HIDA, the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, so which we, we are part of. And we go with the HIDA delegation, and part of it is getting to our legislators in the Capitol, both senators and congressmen, and telling them what the issues are with Hawaii Island, pushing for the continued funding support for the state to combat drugs, also telling them what our problems are, where they can help when they're pushing through laws, when they're changing laws. This year, again, we did meet with our congressional leaders. Uh, we also had an overview of what was going on across the nation because you talk to different agencies with your counterparts across the nation and you find out what they're facing. And what's really interesting is a lot of times when you're talking to them, it's like, okay, they're experiencing the same thing we are. And it's not unique to Hawaii Island. It's not unique to the state of Hawaii. Have any departments across the country come up with unique or great solutions for drug problems that they shared? Not that I recall, you know, something that stood out. Chief Ferreira, you have now been police chief for about two years. At this point, what do you see as your biggest concerns, your biggest challenges? The biggest challenge we had right now, and you talked about it earlier, is recruitment and retention is the recruitment of new officers and the retention of our veteran officers. Last year, you know, we had an exodus of quite a bit of officers, and it's not due to one cause. Hopefully it's not due to me being chief. <laughs> but <laughs> some of it had to do with the death of Officer Kaliloa. We've had officers pass away. We had the lava flow eruption. We had the natural disasters of rains, heavy rains that came down, so officers are working 12 on off. So there was a lot of factors out there. So we did have a lot of officers leave for various reasons. So our big challenge right now is the recruitment and retention. And we're dealing with a different generation out there that, you know, as far as a workforce that's coming on board. They have different ideas as what they want. So that is part of it. But also, if you look at economy right now, it's on an upswing. The unemployment rate, it's the lowest I think it's been in years. Whenever economy gets good and the job situation is that good, public service suffers. Because why am I going to work as a police officer, put up with everything that an officer has to put up with when I can make the same amount, if not more money, doing construction, working in services? So why would I join the police department? Anything else that you would like to add, Police Chief Paul Ferreira, before we say aloha? What have we not talked about that folks on the island should understand? You know, I know we've talked a lot about, you know, police officers and what the police officers do, but there is another side to the police department that maybe people don't realize. Uh, we have a very large civilian or non-sworn staff. Part of that non-sworn staff or our support staff, we couldn't do our jobs without them. And this goes from the clerk three all the way up to the supervising police radio dispatcher or the senior records analyst or the senior supervising records person. So we have a very large support staff here in Hawaii Police Department. Coming up shortly, and it's the week of April 14th through the 20th, is what is known as the National Public Safety Telecommunication Week, where across the nation we honor our public safety dispatchers. 
are police, fire, 911 operators, the dispatchers. The first contact you make when you call for police services, the first person you, you speak to when you have an emergency. So they're being honored that week. So that is something that people might want to keep in the back of their mind. Tell them thank you. Same with the rest of our civilian staff. Without them, we couldn't do our jobs. You know, when you speak of dispatchers, first of all, I've had the opportunity to visit your dispatch center, and I've also had the opportunity to call dispatch, and I really think they are terrific. I have been very, very pleased with the service. But you mentioned earlier that there is a plan to build a new dispatch center, and having been in your dispatch center, which is like sort of a can of sardines with people, I think it's three dispatch stations that are just really right next to each other. What is the plan for building a new dispatch center? Where would it be? When would it be? How big would it be? There's a capital improvement project for a new dispatch center. It's been on the books for a while. I mean, it's a joint facility between police and fire. Mayor Kim has supported it. He is pushing for it as far as looking at constructing it. The site that is identified on Mohuli Street for the fire station, Upper Mohuli. Well, so right now, dispatch is right here near your office. We're sitting in your office. How much of a problem would that be to have dispatch not in your own building? Oh, it wouldn't be a problem at all because, you know, everything is controlled by radio and phones and computer lines. So it wouldn't be a problem not having them in place at the building. If you went into our dispatch center, you know how cramped it is. You know how small the area is. It would be a blessing to us to help us also in the recruitment of dispatchers if we have a better facility, better working condition for them. Police Chief Paul Ferreira, anything else before we say aloha? No, Sherry, but thank you very much for always supporting the police department and you know getting the word out there for us whenever we need to. Thank you so much. Aloha. Aloha to you. And with that, a very big mahalo to all of our listeners. This is Island Conversations, and I'm Sherry Bracken. You may listen to a podcast of this and previous Island Conversations interviews at kwxx.com. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.